Welcome and thanks for joining us on the podcast. Now let's join Pastor Jamie Tasker for his message. Hey, if we haven't met before, my name is Jamie. I'm one of the pastors here on the Hope team. And, you know, tonight we... <coughs> Excuse me. That's not a good start. I just want to get right into the, to the word with you. You know, we're starting a new series, as Dr. Jacob mentioned earlier on. And we're looking at... Tonight, the particular theme I want to focus on is the word logos, you know, where it means the word of God, where we look at it in a theological context in the word of God. And I was somewhat challenged with what are we going to share when it comes to the Bible? You see, we're looking at all these words, these Christianese words that we use sometimes in our language where Jesus is always the answer and God and the kingdom of God and koinonia. We're looking at all these sorts of words over these next few weeks. And tonight's topic is a good one. I want to share this thought with you. We're going to look at this from a little different perspective. I want to share this thought with you tonight. Now, here's here's my disclaimer. You really need to stay with me tonight. My topic for you tonight is the urinals on the wall. The urinals on the wall. So stay with me. I'm going to read a passage, a story to you in just a moment. And I'm not going to explain it so much, but I'm going to look at how we explain and interpret different things. And that we're going to come back to this passage and I'm going to go through it and help explain it. For you. Now, this all ties together, so as I said, you really need to pay attention tonight. It stood in the middle of a small square, planted with only a few puny acacia bushes. It was attractive with its terrace roof and two entrances, decorated with painted ceramics. The inside was spotless with gleaming white porcelain bowls fixed to the walls. On the screen here, we have a picture of one of them. A sign advised warning users, now this is a very important tip, boys, men, stand close to the receptacles as possible as to avoid getting the smallest drop of urine on the floor. The crucial moment had arrived. Gentlemen, he exclaimed, I invite you to take possession of your urinal. A dozen men came forward, each bowed respectfully as they went in. Soon there was a sound of a flushing which was drowned out by the burst from the band. Amazing thought, amazing story, isn't it? Are you with me? I need some feedback. I don't know about you, but I really believe that art is a great revealer of beauty. It's also a great revealer of humanity. It can reveal our potential for beauty, but art can also reveal our potential for evil. As you see on the screen or saw on the screen, we had have a piece of art, something that is what we refer to as modern art. This this was a a, a urinal by a guy, a French man by the name Duchamp, where he called it ready-made art, an ordinary manufactured object designed by the artist as a work of art. There's something about this urinal. I used to be a plumber. I've looked at many urinals. (laughs) But this urinal, it caused me to look at it somewhat differently. 
When I looked at this, it really caused my appreciation of art to change. You can take that down. It's a pretty shocking thought, isn't it? A practical thing, yet, is viewed as modern art. I'm sure many of you tonight are here asking, well, what has this got to do with the message? What has this got to do with the Bible? I think there's a lot of similarities between art and Scripture. The first thing I think we need to do is learn to ask the right questions. Ask the right questions. Open our eyes to the art. You know, as I looked at that picture and recently reflected on this and have somewhat liked the idea of art and paintings and becoming acquired to art, I have looked at art and in particular galleries different ever since. I think when it comes to art, we need to look at the right questions. You see, there's many forms of art. There's abstract art. We have modern day art. (laughs) We read shocking things in the Bible, awful things that we could never understand. Have you ever made statements where you've read the Bible and you've said, well, how does that fit in there? How does that take place? How does this fit in this big picture, this thing called the Bible, a collection of books, God's word? I want to take a look at this urinal on the wall and hopefully you and I, we tonight can learn some lessons from this urinal, this thought, and apply it to when it comes to the word of God. Are you still with me? Three of you are. (laughs) You know, when it comes to the word of God, there's a couple of things we need to do and we need to look at these two words and one's called an exegesis and one's called an eisegesis. And exegesis, it's the legitimate interpretation which reads out of the text what the original authors meant to convey. And eisegesis, it means to read into the text what the interpreter wishes to find and thinks or thinks he finds should be in there. In other words, what does the text say, not what do I think it says based on my observations? You know, when I look at that urinal on the wall, I was looking at it from my mindset and I really misinterpreted what that thing was. You look at it in the natural sense and it's a quite a dirty Utensil, it's something that you urinate into. But there's so much more to this story. I just pray you hang on with me because our God is a God of more. He wants to reveal himself to you tonight. I'm praying for fresh revelation. That as we look at these words, as we look at things like the Bible, we understand the power, the significance, the transformation that can take place as we read it and Jesus reveals himself to you through his word. Exegesis, it's imperative, it's vital, but eisegesis, it's inevitable. In other words, you can't actually read the text without reading into it. It would be impossible. You know, it's essential that we, that you and I, when it comes to reading the Word of God, we read into the text. If we didn't, we wouldn't get anything from it. But here's the thing, the ancient text, it must speak into yours and my modern day situation the exegesis it must come before the eisegesis but you know i think what is a shame is in our modern world we often put it the other way around we read this book we read this sacred text with an attitude of what can i get out of it what can i get out of it you know everyone has a different understanding of how we can have an attitude of what we can get out of it for me 
But you know, unfortunately, the modern reader, we have an attitude of what can I get out of this God's word? You know, it's a problem that's faced postmodernists ever since. They're interested by Paul or John, but they're only interested in those characters for themselves. You know, we can look around this room tonight and there's some 70 odd people here and I'm sure you and I can look at the scripture, we can look at a passage and we'll all come up with a different interpretation of God's word. Exegesis is imperative, eisegesis it's inevitable. Gordon Fee and Douglas Stewart, they say many of the urgent problems in the urgent church today are basically because of uh, struggles of bridging the hermeneutical gap where we bridge between God's word and then and to the here and now. You see, hermeneutics, it's a study of the study of biblical interpretation and it's that gap which is between you and the text. It can be a huge gap And many of the problems we face are bridging between the then and the there and the here and the now. You know, an example for you tonight could be I showed you a picture of the urinal on the wall and I would love to know your initial thoughts when you saw a picture of a urinal on the wall in our church. Please don't get offended, there's good news. (laughs) How many of you thought that it was disgusting? How many of you thought, why is that here in the church? You see, there's a big gap in the understanding between our initial thought and the intention I want to show and reveal with you tonight. It's exegesis and isogesis. This presents us with a challenge when we look back at books of the Bible like Isaiah, which were written some 2,700 years ago, and we have to look at the context and try and apply it into today's society. It presents this dilemma from an era many, many years ago to a society in the here and now. We could even go back further and look at guys like Abraham and his time. I don't know if you ever thought about it, but you know the shock of the text was not about when Abraham was about to kill his child. The shock was when God stepped in and stopped him killing the child. You see, that's, that's the shock. Do you hear me tonight? We, we need some light. We need people like an art critic who can come in and help describe and interpret what is it that we are seeing on the wall? What is it that you are seeing when you read the word? Two things I really think we need to do when it comes to the Bible. and One is open our eyes. Second one is open your eyes. Where we open our eyes to the natural, but we also open our eyes to the supernatural. You know, I love my wife dearly. We go out often, probably not as often as we should on dates. <laughs> but I can be driving down the road and I'll see a plane. I love aeroplanes. And I'll point it out and i say, oh, look, that's an A330. And Fiona will say, how do you know? Well, I just know. I love planes. I study planes. I look at them. Or there's an A317. Or look, there's a Ford, BA, Falcon. And she's like, how do you know? Well, I study these things. I like them. It's a guy thing. <laughs> but it's amazing. You train yourself to look. And as you look around, you notice stuff. You know, we learn how to see. And I think it's the same for the Bible. When we open our eyes and we see what is in the text and we read out the text, but be careful when we do that not to become the spiritually elite. There's a principle we need to put into play here. We need the spiritual light, the divine help to open our eyes into the text 
I love what Psalm 119 verse 18 declares. It says, open my eyes, Lord, that I may see your wonderful things in your law. I encourage you to make that your prayer. God, I don't understand this text. But will you help me put the context into this passage? Suddenly, you know, I think when we, we do this, the spiritual, that supernatural light comes on where we ask for help from above and that passage, that scripture starts to come alive. I want to share with you tonight as well six questions that we can apply to our daily reading or whenever we look at the word of God. Six thoughts, six questions. Are you with me? First one for you tonight is, well, I'll share them all. There's when, there's who, where, why, what, and how. Now, I want you to notice how is the last question we should always ask. And I think we misinterpret the text if we do this and place it first. But when you look at it in reality, the first question most postmodernists ask is, so how should we ask these questions and in what order you know my first thought for you tonight is is when when do we ask these questions we look at that passage we look at the urinal on the wall and i have a question for you when was the urinal placed on on the wall you know as i was looking at it this week i checked out the date that's the first thing i looked at when was it put there what was happening in the art world at that period in time what was happening in the world at that period in time You see, if you don't understand the then, we'll never understand the context of what was taking place in that moment. Then I took a closer look and you'll realise that it, the urinal, it had been placed there on the wall in 1917. 1917. It actually, that urinal was a copy because the original one was destroyed. In 1917, what does that say? 1917, it was right in the middle of the war. There was a lot of broken, dischanted people that were living in the most horrendous part of history where millions upon millions of people were being murdered. People were angry. People were violent. Artists were disenchanted. And right in the middle of this disenchantment, we have this Victorian landscape and reality was changing. Modern art was being birthed out of people's protest. You see, that's what I see when I look at that urinal on the wall suddenly a simple statement starts to change everything (laughs) you know when we combine the ordinary with the extraordinary you and I start to get a glimpse of what's going on I love history and I want to encourage you why don't you open up the text open up your concordance open up the history books and allow God to speak to you whenever you're looking into his word. Everybody say when. Second one I want to share with you is the who. So who put the urinal on the wall? A French man, a guy by the name of Marcel Duchamp. Duchamp, I can't, I can't speak French, so you need to forgive me. That was a good, a good, good one, Dave. He was, he was in a particular French art group. He moved to New York to further his art career. <laughs> Everybody say who. So we've looked at the when, we've looked at the who, it was very briefly. Third point I want to share with you is where did the urinal get placed on the wall? 
This urinal was meant to be displayed on a wall in an art gallery in New York. It was meant to reflect a statement. See, Duchamp, he went there, he was part of the board, and there was this era where art was there and used as an expression, and this gallery was meant to be, have every bit of art on display, and there weren't meant to be any restrictions. It was a freedom of speech, you could say. But yet, when they saw it, they were shocked, and they refused to place it in there. It was a shocking thing. You know, where did this take place? What was the emotion at the time? You know, we can't just read text and not realize the shock value that can come through God's word when we read it and apply it in that moment. We need to see it in its context, and that's why I put it in a picture on the wall. It's a shocking thing. But when and who and where is vital when it comes to your life? When, who, where is vital when it comes to reading the word of God? You see, when we look at it, those things, they're the context. They're the context of what was going on. And let's have a look at the next three. I want to look quickly at the content. See, all of those things are critical to reflect the true image of the urinal. So the fourth thought is why. Everyone say why. Why did the urinal get put on the wall? Marcel Duchamp was not only disenchanted by the world... He was disenchanted by the world of modern art. This was called anti-art in its day, the statement it was making. He took normal objects and he would turn them into art. Pretty smart thing. I reckon I could be pretty good at that. (laughs) But, you know, the overarching text where we discover the text of the book, it's, it's there to know God and ultimately to glorify Jesus Christ. But you and I read the word, we find purpose in it, and we glorify his name. We say why. Fifth thought for you tonight is what? What is the urinal saying? When it comes to the text, what is the text actually saying? Let's check it out. Sometimes we don't always know what the text means. Have you ever opened your book, the Bible, and not understood fully what the word said? Not understood the what? Even with all the questions, we don't always know what it means. We need to read the text and check it out. You see, the text, it's only relevant if we understand what it means. What does it mean? The only way we can do this is we need the supernatural help from the author, God. If the text doesn't mean anything to you, can I encourage you, don't make it up. Go to God, go to the author, go to the source. What does the text mean? Sixth thing I want to share is how can we learn from the urinal? This is where the eisegesis it comes into play. You see, in 1917, Marcel Duchamp was disenchanted with the world. He was disenchanted with the art world. He was disenchanted with his colleagues. He was on his way. He was in New York chasing his dream. He was on the board of this art gallery. He was there to make a statement and make a name for himself. He decided to take a ready-made urinal and shove it on the wall and call it art. But as you saw, the reality is it's shocking. It was challenging, but it was a prophetic statement. He wanted to say something, that there is beauty in this world, even though in this world ugly things are happening. That's what Marcel wanted to be seen. You know, what would you see today... What would you say today to that? What could we learn from that 
illustration. What is it that we are so disenchanted with in our world? Is it our political system? I tell you, if you put your faith in politics, you're going to be let down. (laughs) Are we disenchanted with the things that are going on around us? The question is, what are we going to say and what are we going to do about that? You know, we can look at the Bible and read from many men like David, a king who danced near naked before the Lord. In a natural sense, we can look at it and think, how outrageous, how disgusting. But yet he stood there before his father while he was dancing, actually, (laughs) glorifying his king, his daddy. You know, it's important that when it comes to life, when it comes to scripture, when it comes to art, we look at the context of what is going on and we ask ourselves questions like when, who, where, why, what, and how. Gordon Fee, great interpreter, he says, whenever we share comparable particulars with the first century settings, God's word to us is the same as God's word to them. So true. It's how you interpret the urinal on the wall. It's how we interpret the text. We ask these six questions in the right order and we draw life out of it. But let's get back to that story I read to you at the start. (laughs) Pretty gruesome. Let me ask these questions of this text where he starts off by stating the crucial moment had arrived, gentlemen. I invite you to take possession of your urinal or urinal, however you pronounce it. So the first question is, when did this take place? In 28th of the 5th, 1948. The day the purified National Party of South Africa had come to power. And the day of the formal birth of the injustice of the apartheid had been rolled out in South Africa. On that day, they celebrated in Parliament. And on the same day, 12 men, they entered a urinal. And now all of a sudden, this story starts to make sense the second question who well the man who had exclaimed gentlemen i invite you to take possession of your urinal the man was a guy by the name of barnabas zanzibari a local publican owner a local black man whose life wasn't just about to be destroyed by an unjust apartheid which was just about to start now it's beginning to make sense we know the who the third thing is where well this took place in District 6 in Cape Town, a migrant city full of immigrants from all over the place. It was filled with bars, it was filled with brothels. But here's the ironic thing about this place. There was racial harmony in this town. Colours, Coloured people, blacks, whites, they filled their places with unity. So what was it that the government did? They bulldozed the entire community including this urinal, which stood there in the centre square, and they filled it, they placed a police station there right in the middle, representing the future. You know, it was a shocking situation, and that was the feeling then and there. There was racial harmony. You know, I look at this passage, and I look around our world and wonder, how can this relate to today? So now the when takes place, the first day of parliament, the parliament, the the party were voted in. So we have the who, Barabbas, so Barnabas, Zanzibari, 
where District 6, Cape Town. Why? Because he was fed up with the injustice of the racial law and he wanted to make a statement. What? What was he actually saying? He invited the coloured, the blacks, the whites in and he says, possess your urinal. The questions then arose from the men. They said, isn't this against the law? And then he replies with a statement, for the moment, this country's racial laws apply only to public places. A urinal is not exactly a public place because of the activity pursued in it by its private nature, meaning that you would have to produce a special law banning the interracial nature exercise intended by God. He was making a statement. Suddenly, when we look at this urinal, it takes a whole new meaning, a whole new perspective. Will you say the how? I think it's simple. It's up to you and I how we can apply this story to our life. Now, we've asked the question, the passage, it starts to make a whole lot of sense. I want to read this for you one more time, and I want you to think about those thoughts, the six questions we could ask after reviewing the urinal, reviewing this story. He says, the crucial moment had arrived, gentlemen. I invite you to take possession of your urinal. A dozen men came forward. Among them were blacks, coloreds, Indians, Malays, as well as two members of the neighborhood's white minority. Each bowed respectfully as they went in. Soon there was a sound of flushing water, which soon drowned out by the burst of the ban in the residence of District 6, who had succeeded in defying the victories sung, shaking the walls of Parliament. One day for sure, a whole of South Africa will unite together, urinate together, <laughs> in racial harmony. Pretty, pretty amazing story, huh? It's a prophetic urinal, you could say, when we ask and apply the right questions. The when, the who, the where, the why, the what, and the how. Now, if the team could come up, that would be great. You know, when it comes to reading the Logos, God's word, my question for you is, will you apply these steps when it comes to your daily reading? Will you look at the text from a when perspective, a who perspective, a where perspective, a why, what, how. I love what John 1 says, in the beginning, the word already existed. He was with God and he was God. He was in the beginning with God. He created everything there is. Nothing exists that he didn't make. Life itself was in him. And this gives light to everyone. The light shines through the darkness and the darkness can never extinguish it. God sent John the Baptist to tell everyone about the light so that everyone might believe because of his testimony. When was this passage written? Around AD 85. Who wrote it? John. I love what it says in chapter 20. John, he refers to himself as the one that Jesus loved speaks to me of intimacy he knew who he was he knew his identity it's the same with you and i when we read the word of god it brings identity reveals who christ is where was it written at that point in time in ephesus asia minor why well i believe it was a message 
message of believe in your Jesus, turn from your ways and believe in me. Well, what was the message? I think there's plenty of messages in that passage. In the beginning was God. Our God, He is the Creator. Jesus, it talks about unity. It talks about Jesus being one with God. Jesus is the Word. The Word is God. Everything in the Bible points to Jesus. It sets Him up. It speaks about being one with the Father, one of unity. It calls God the light. So how do we apply it? My message for you tonight is surrender to God, our Creator, the one who spoke light into darkness, the one who speaks life into dead circumstances. My message for you tonight is not one of behavior modification if we do this. I gave you some steps. But I believe that if we apply those steps, we'll get more out of His work. My message for you tonight is one of spiritual transformation, where we get into God's Word, we understand it. Heaven speaks to us. He's glorified. We hope you have been encouraged by this message. For more information, check out our website at desertlifechurch.org.